This week on the Rail Splitters, it's Hey Nicolay, Hey Nicolay. See what I did there? We're going to do our first part of a two-part series on Lincoln's trusted secretaries, Hey and Nicolay. Starting today with John Nicolay. to the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. My name is Jeremy. With me this evening are Rail Splitter Mary. Hey, Rail Split Nash. What's up? And Rail Splitter Nick. What's up, Rail Split Nash? To all of you mowing your lawn as you listen to us, I'm talking loud. That way you can hear us over the roar of your engine um, of that lawn mower. All right. <laughs> it's springtime. People need to be cutting their grass, I suppose. Um so this week we're going to talk about two very important and often overlooked individuals in the Lincoln world. But before we get to that, we always like to bring you Civil War slash Abraham Lincoln related news sometimes in the newspapers or newsprints, sometimes in pop culture. And this week, a new trailer dropped. And no, we're not going to spend an entire episode this time talking about a trailer. Um, but it's, I don't know, I'm similarly excited for this miniseries as I am for the Grant miniseries coming soon to Showtime is a series about John Brown starring Ethan Hawke and the trailer just dropped so we'll try to retweet that uh, Real Splitter Nick brought that to our attention so Nick why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about this John Brown series that's uh, on the horizon yeah so after I mentioned it on the show Hollywood got the work quick um, and got this together uh, it's called The Good Lord Bird, which is based off a historical fiction novel kind of revolving around John Brown that was written in 2013. And gosh darn it, I forgot the author's name off the top of my... Oh, James McBride um, wrote it. And I have not read the book. Either of you read the book? I haven't. I've, not. I've okay. heard of it, but I haven't got around to reading it yet. Yeah, so I guess there's like a fictional character in there that the book kind of uses as the narrator works, you know, kind of brings you through everything um, by, and his nickname's like Onion in it. And I guess it's kind of, I'm a big Hunter S. Thompson fan. He's kind of got like this Gonzo gonzo journalism he's known for where he kind of exaggerates the truth and kind of, you know, kind of plays it up some stuff and i think the book's written a little bit like that which is very intriguing to me so it's kind of like a gonzo journalism take uh on john brown and you get a little bit of the feel of that when you watch the trailer so basically uh there's being put together by bloomhouse these are people behind get out as well as the black Klansmen, and they're kind of it's a seven episode miniseries that's going to kind of walk you through uh what looks to be kind of the bleeding kansas part of john's brown life all the way through the harper's ferry so Pretty excited. Ethan Hawke uh, is definitely bringing the intensity. If you watched the trailer, you noticed it. He's got a sweet beard. He looks crazy. So we all know John Brown was crazy. So it, I'm pretty excited. Ethan Hawke has kind of had a underappreciated second half of his acting career here. Um, and he's been in some absolute bangers. Um, and the dude can bring it. So I'm pretty stoked about that. It's showtime. It's going to be seven episodes, like I said. Uh, the first one will premiere in August 9th. So, got a lot of people behind it. Uh, you know, Ethan Hawke's great. You got the Bloom House. They've known. They've had some success, like the movies I mentioned. So, I'm pretty excited to see it all come together. I'm very happy to see David Diggs is starring as Frederick Douglass. He was in Hamilton. He played um, uh, Thomas Jefferson. And um, his name's escaping me now. He played two roles in Hamilton. I can't. Uh, the French guy. Oh, Lafayette. <laughs> yeah, Lafayette. He played Lafayette in the first act, and then uh, Jefferson in the next. So yeah, it's uh, exciting anarchy, to see him as Douglas. How you say anarchy? That's a, yes, that's my that's, impression that's of the. Guy, the yeah. Anarchy. Little... How you say? Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Steve Zahn wasn't he in Nine Hundred Two One Zero? 
Uh, no. he may have been. No, you're thinking of, uh, is oh, that Ian Deerling you're oh, thinking yeah, of? Yeah. Oh, I know who Steve Zahn is. <laughs> Steve, Steve sounds like the crazy guy who's in Sahara. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah, he was in that thing you do as well. Mm. Uh, and probably an underappreciated comedy. Uh, I think it's Saving Silverman. Yes. Is that a comedy? Yeah. 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 I love that. With Jack Black, right? Am I right on that? Yep. Yes. So. And he, the Neil Diamond cover band? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a great movie i don't think that gets enough love um no i yeah i agree so yeah so i'm excited about this too i agree about the ethan hawk uh i, I enjoyed nick's comment in our group chat about uh, or no it wasn't even your comment it was the trailer i think itself or the tweet that tweeted the trailer wasn't it about mm-hmm. uh, somebody being suspect of ethan hawk and then they saw the trailer and then they're all about it um so yeah james mcbride um i'm definitely going to read this i think maybe before it comes out. I'm just kind of reading a little bit about James McBride. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the book that this miniseries is based on won the National Book Award, uh, which is in 2013. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, obviously, it's the National Book Award. Um, uh, but it's it's kind of, there's a little bit of comedic elements to it. So uh, I think that's going to be um, an interesting take on it. And there definitely was, in the trailer, you see a, an exchange between Frederick Douglass and John Brown that's definitely funny. Um, so I, I think there's definitely will be some humor to it. And I think the humor is actually going to be a little, a little more, I don't know, highbrow, more academic perhaps um, than like John Brown was crazy. Yeah. So I think, you know, you're always risking that. Like he kind of has this, this reputation or this belief that he's just this, you know, crazy person um, when really he was pretty impassioned Um Abolitionist. I always think of the line that's uh, taken into uh, Ken Burns' Civil War that uh, Frederick Douglass said, where Frederick Douglass said, "You know, I've I've lived for the slave. John Brown was prepared to die for the slave, um, or something, you know, very very similar to that." So, um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's going to be pretty cool. I'm I'm pretty excited for it. I might say I'm more excited for this than uh, Grant. By far, I'm equally excited. Although uh, Jar and I have been looking ahead on our schedule on the TV, and uh, Grant is not showing up on the Canadian History Channel, so oh, no. we don't know if we're going to be able to watch it next weekend. Which is, you know, I mean, the way 2020's gone, why not? Right? <laughs> why not? <laughs> and it feels like like most outlets have been pretty liberal with what they've been deciding to put up for. Um, streaming because they realize like hey we got a captive audience so everybody's going to be yeah. watching you know all of this stuff so um but yeah uh this is going to be very exciting um in the national book award obviously is very prestigious but like uh the underground railroad by colson whitehead mm-hmm. won that award dr ibram kendi won the nonfiction one uh we've had him on the show where in, in early days um so but uh, James McBride beat out uh, some pretty pretty big names, uh, Thomas Pynchon being one of them, uh, when he won the National Book Award in 2013. So um, I'm just interested to see how, how this, this all shakes out. And admittedly, I, I feel like I certainly, and I think many of us, have a lot to learn about John Brown. Because yeah. I think we kind of look at him as, uh, you know, offering some pretty good quips about slavery and, and, and abolition and then Harper's Ferry and that's and that's the end of it um, and then of course is deaths by hanging but uh, there's there's quite a lot more to it so um, this this should be pretty cool I'm pretty excited seven episodes that's a lot yep and I think the big difference that we'll we'll see and I will we'll, we'll probably have a very difficult time comparing it in the grant piece because the grant series is, is a documentary on the history channel and this is more of a this is definitely technically a work of fiction and very much a more of a theatrical storytelling type miniseries where it's a, like a TV show. So it's going to be, I think difficult to compare the two, but still I think it's going to be, uh, they're both going to be definitely worth watching. So do we have a date on the, the premiere? Yeah. August, August 9th. 9th. Oh, okay. So we got plenty of time. Yep. So we got Grant in May. John Brown coming to us in August, yep. so we can probably read the Good Lord Bird before then. Maybe talk. You probably can. Later. It looks like it's about four hundred pages. It yep. looks like four hundred thirty pages. So I'm definitely gonna be starting it tonight. I think I just finished uh, a book. So yes, I'm I'm just about done with my current book as well. So I think I might uh, might you take mean, that up next. You mean you mean your book on tape? 
Still They're called audiobooks nowadays because um, uh, the kids don't know what tapes are. They will forever be book on tapes, books just like the Allstate Arena will always be the Rosemont Horizon. That is a reference to the Chicagoland people. And the Sears Tower, the Willis Tower will always be the Sears Tower. Yes. I don't even it. know what the Willis Tower is. <laughs> the Rogers Center, I think that's what it's called now, will always be the Sky Dome in Toronto. Oh, hands down. Sky Dome. The Sky Dome, I still call it the Sky Dome. Used to love those Blue Jays teams back in the day. Well, you can get even more, uh, get even more local and more obscure for the people who don't know what we're talking about. The Metro Center will never be the BMO. Oh no, the yeah. BMO Harris Bank Center or whatever it is. BMO here in Canada is Bank of Montreal. You guys didn't have a. It might be the same because it's just Probably BMO. Is. I don't. Yeah, it's just BMO. BMO, BMO is Bank BMO. of Montreal. It's a Canadian. No, not true. We do not deal with Canadian currency in this great country. Well, I know it's kind of like a, the equivalent, kind of to like a peso right now. But hey, <laughs> your money, your money is like plastic. It's. Weird. I know it's weird. All right, uh, I, I'm hosting this week, so I am going to pull us back from our our uh, ventures out into the weeds as best I can, which you know sometimes is an effort in futility. But we are starting tonight or today or whenever you happen to be listening to this with a two part episode. Uh, which I like that we're doing into two parts because I think these two individuals often get lumped together as Nicolay and Hay uh, because they were the two, um, their title was secretary, but essentially uh, this is before the days of the White House staff as it is today where there's advisors and national security advisors and chief of staff and all these things. Um, back in Lincoln's day, they didn't he didn't really have that level of support in the West Wing. Uh, Aaron Sorkin probably couldn't have even made an interesting miniseries because there's only a couple of characters in the West Wing at this point in time. Actually, I don't think the West Wing technically existed because it was added on by Rose, Teddy Roosevelt. But anyway, um, but you have Nicolay and Hay, who are essentially Lincoln's uh, personal assistants, um, for lack of a better term. But they were also um, very important, as we'll know, as far as confidants, friends, sometimes like um, surrogate sons in many ways. Um, and and they both went on to lead very, very important lives, um, both in the history of our country and then, of course, just in terms of their accomplishments. Um, you know, spoiler alert, John Hay leads a career of diplomacy that reaches as high as you can as an American diplomat. So um, definitely, uh, and, and not only did he reach that point, he was one of the more influential ones. Um, so you could even venture to say that uh, – that Seward was not the closest friend of Lincoln's to be Secretary of State um, because of John Hay. Uh, but we will get into all of that. But today we are talking about John Nicolay. Um, so we do want to make sure that we're not lumping these two together because, of course, they were two separate people and had two different lives and came to Lincoln in different ways and played different roles. Um, you may recognize Nicolay and Hay from uh, the, Shakespeare, the Shakespeare, the Spielberg um, I don't know where that came from. Uh, the Spielberg film, uh, Nicolay was played by Jeremy Strong, uh, who, in addition to having a wonderful first name, you may recognize from the HBO series Succession, where he plays kind of the weaselly oldest son in that in that um, that show, which I think is it's fun to watch to me because you can see his range because he plays Nicolay, I think, perfectly as this kind of unassuming, quieter um, type character, but. Um, if you're wondering who they are in that movie, there's a very well-known and very memorable scene where Lincoln is pardoning uh, soldiers who are going to be executed for abandoning, you know, for dis- uh, desertion and all that kind of stuff. So let's learn a little bit more about these two uh, sometimes overlooked, very important figures in Lincoln's life. And I'll turn it over to Nick to take us through a little bit of John G. Nicolay. Uh, Mary, was there anything you wanted for the intro? Um, I was just going to add into that. So Nicolay and Hay were the authors of what is still a very respected biography of Abraham Lincoln. And we are talking about just doing a separate episode about that alone, because the work those two put into that biography um, was years and years and years. And they actually got permission from Lincoln early in his presidency to to start compiling um, 
that. So they had tons of primary source documents. They also had their own personal experience because there was, I was reading a story last night in um, White's bio of Lincoln called A. Lincoln about where I think it was John Hay and him were riding back one night from, from the cottage um, where Lincoln would spend the summer, like the summer. And just they had those kind of private discussions together. So the the two of them were privy to a lot of things and they knew a lot about Lincoln um, and got to know him, you know, not only professionally, but just like on a personal level as well to whereas Jeremy said, or they were almost like surrogate sons to him. Um, and their role like was administration. So they would write letters, sort and read mail, receive and screen vid- visitors. Um, and they were also there during the most important parts of his presidency. They were in Gettysburg with him during the address. And um, Jeremy mentioned the one scene from the movie. Um, But the first official act of Lincoln's administration was appointing John Nicolay as his private secretary. And that's where I will let Nick start talking about John G. Nicolay. Yeah, I mean, Nicolay definitely... I would probably say um, Hay was probably a little bit closer to Lincoln as far as being on the intimate level, um, and then Mary. But Nicolay, definitely during those presidency years, um, he's probably the third uh, closest to Lincoln mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, when you start looking at what these guys experienced with them, I mean, Nicolay was at the lost speech in Bloomington, uh, which was this famous speech that Lincoln gave that unfortunately nobody has a copy of. He was there for Lincoln's nomination in Chicago, the first inaugural. He was the first person Lincoln turned to after the death of his son. The signing, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation, the Gettysburg Address, second inaugural, the signing of the 13th Amendment. I mean, these are some of the most historical events in American history. And they're experiencing this in their 20s, which is quite mind-boggling. So when you think about that, we'll talk a little bit more about the age and how that um, provided some obstacles for them, especially in D.C., uh, but going back to Nicolay, um, Nicolay, as we'll see here, his childhood, there are some parallels definitely to Lincoln's childhood. Um, first, he was born in Germany, uh, the youngest of four children. And then the family, like many people um, during this time period, uh, moved to America in 1837, looking for better opportunities for the family so they you know, could continue to progress um, for their children. Uh, when they came to America, they first landed in New Orleans, um, then that was quickly, uh, they quickly left New Orleans to settle in Cincinnati briefly. And then eventually from Cincinnati, they'll go to Indiana, Missouri, and then Pike County, Illinois. And his father made a living basically grinding corn and wheat into meal and flour for local farmers. Um, and then just like Lincoln, uh, he has a tragedy uh, when he's 14 years old. His mom ends up dying in Cincinnati. Um, or actually, excuse me, he was younger than that. His mom dies in Cincinnati, and his father dies when he's 14 years old. So he lost both of his parents at a very young age. Now, Nicolay, when he grows up, he'll only he'll be 5'10", but he'll be 125 pounds, and he'll be frequently fighting off illness, and this starts at a young age for him. So he's actually known to be quite small, sickly, um, and kind of a different mind than the other boys. And a lot of this information I'm kind of building this off of is from a great book called Lincoln's Boys by Joshua Zietz. Um, so that's kind of was the foundation for a lot of this stuff. Uh, but anyways, so he didn't have a lot of friends growing up, uh, but he did love the outdoors, and this will be a trait that will follow him all the way to the end of his life um, from his different vacations to the different places he lived. Uh, but he was also a huge fan of the written word, just like Lincoln. Uh, his family, um, you know, definitely were not wealthy. Um, so it started with a family Bible, eventually moved on to Shakespeare, um, which him, Hay, and Lincoln will all share bonding time over. So his parents both die. He's 14 years old. So now he goes out basically into the real world. He ends up being a clerk uh, at a general store. For about for two years. So he's working there, fine. And then eventually the owner's nephew comes of age and he's going to basically bump Nicolay out of that job. So basically keep it in the family. So basically he reaches out to a former teacher. He's interested in getting into the newspaper business. This former teacher has an opportunity for him. 
Um, and he will eventually walk to what is known as Pittsfield, Illinois. Um, he'll walk this 35-mile journey, and he will start his career um, in the newspaper industry. Um, he'll be known. He'll become basically a printer devil uh, for the Pike County Free Press. This is a Whig-leaning paper at the time, and then the politics of these paper will definitely play a huge role in how he gets into politics himself. Basically, what a printer devil is, they're just doing all these like random things. They're running errands. They're part janitor. Just they're lower than an apprentice. After two years there, though, he eventually works up. He becomes writer and editor for the paper. By 1854, at the age of 22, he's the sole proprietor, editor, and publisher of the Pike County Free Press. So kind of just making it on his own, found an industry where, you know, um, status didn't matter. Um, And this is important because newspapers were the main source of news. And we talked about this many times before, that a lot of these newspapers lean toward political parties. And the editors there had a huge influence in politics. And it's no different at this time. And he will eventually get into the world of politics because of this, because editors are major players. While at Pittsfield, he'll meet the love of his life. Uh, the the I can't even say it. Serena. I think it's Serena. Thank you. Serena. Serena Bates, who he'll refer to as Maggie, um, becomes eventually will become his wife down the road. And... So this kind of all dives into him getting into politics. But before I dive into there, so obviously, just like Lincoln, you know, he he suffered a lot of setbacks, you know, tragedy in the family. Um, He had to venture out on his own, make it on his own, had to adapt and learn on his own. Obviously, he'll have a little bit of success or higher level success a little bit quicker than Lincoln. Uh, But I don't know if anybody wants to jump in with any thoughts at this point. Um. I think he's like, he seems like he's a little bit more, not to give too much away about John Hay, just a little bit more, I think, living kind of more poverty than what John Hay did. Because, again, don't want to give too much away. Hay is university educated and and all that. And I think Nicolay definitely has in his early life way more parallels than, with Lincoln, kind of the self-made person you know, to see how he did at the newspaper and all that. Um, Whereas we're going to see with Hay, when we do the episode about him, it's a little bit different than, than the, what um, Nicolay and Lincoln are. Yeah. I like the, the parallels with Lincoln, I think are the most important thing, at least up to this point. Um, One, because, you know, it's always, to me, it's always fascinating. How How does one become best friends or not best friends, but like, you know, confidant, and, and to attain the position that he that he attained, and you know that was, his was largely you know based on hard work and skill, like you know as it should be, um, coming from from next to nothing, and just the just this vision of him walking thirty five miles and you know just getting a job writing because that's what he wanted to do. I just think is a, is a wonderful thing. Agreed. So he's growing up in a time period when he's, you know, getting a newspaper, become an editor. This is, you know, the Kansas-Nebraska controversy that leads into bleeding Kansas. So it's really when the slavery issue is becoming right on the table. And it's right, you know, at the beginning of the formation of the Republican Party, which all becomes extremely important um, in his story here. And I, I would say uh, Nicolay was definitely a moderate abolitionist. I think and what I mean by that, he definitely was against institution of slavery. Um, But I don't know when he first uh, started writing editorials and speaking out about it. um, I think it was more, he didn't see it necessarily as a civil rights issue at the forefront, more of an economic industrial issue, um, you know, kind of where he did not necessarily see, you know, whites and blacks on equal footing. Um, you know, a, a story that we've talked many times about Lincoln, but I do think he evolves over time, just like Lincoln did on his view towards the institution of slavery um, and blacks in America as well. Um, so he definitely spoke out against them, uh, against slavery, that is, um, and it continued to evolve over time. Another thing that's very important to understand is the Republican Party starts to form, you know, in the late 1850s. Um, And then eventually in Illinois, the de facto leader will be Lincoln of the Republican Party. 
And it's during this time of the formation of the Republican Party that Nicolay is also growing in influence as well. It's believed that in 1856 that Lincoln actually came to Pittsfield uh, for a campaign appearance, and that is believed when Nicolay and Lincoln first met each other. Um, and then eventually Nicolay, because of the newspaper and being an editor who um, definitely aligned with the Republican Party, he would be elected a delegate at the Illinois' first Republican convention, and that takes place in Bloomington, and that's where he watches from the rafters Lincoln's famous lost speech. Out of 1856, you have an election takes place. Uh, Oseas Hatch, who is a former legislator for Pike County, he is the first Republican Secretary of Illinois, Secretary of the State. And why is this significant? Because Nicolay stumped for Hatch. Um, he um, supported him, campaigned for him, and it's because of that loyalty that he will get the post of chief clerk on Hatch's staff. So in 1856, at the age of 25, he will get this position, and he will move to Springfield for the next four years, which will ultimately change the, you know, the path of his life um, during that time. And during this time... As he's working for Hatch, he'll continue to write editorials for the Pike County Free Press, the Chicago Tribune. He will get involved in the Lincoln vs. Douglas um, campaign. He'll be a party lieutenant. Uh, he'll actually publish a campaign pamphlet on the political record of Stephen Douglas. He organized campaign rallies, uh, helped get out-of-state speakers in, um, and stuff like that. And this is also kind of when Nicolay and Hayes' friendship really starts to grow, is in these later years in Springfield. Um, at that point obviously he's big into the party so with the republican convention being um in illinois he's in attendance there um he is a lincoln guy obviously and he is there and he talks about the excitement there's a great section in the book unfortunately i forgot to write it down where he talks about that when that vote comes in and lincoln's like four votes shy he just talks about like how it's just it just got real quiet you could just hear like the pencils on the paper because everybody knew what it mean. They were just waiting for people to start, you know, switching their votes to Lincoln. And then he talks about how one, I forget what state it was. I want, I want to say it's Ohio. I'm not hundred percent sure. He talks about how then it just erupted um, and all this energy and excitement. Um, and he was kind of Lincoln's guy there, you know, uh, one of Lincoln's guys, because remember Lincoln, of course, wasn't at the convention himself. Either was Hay. So, um, and it just really kind of just a magical moment um, from all that. I actually found a really good quote, and I don't know if I'm going to be getting ahead of you. No, go ahead. This, and I hope you don't have it in your notes. Um, but in June of 1860, Nicolay wrote to Serena and said, Mr. Lincoln has engaged me as his private secretary during his during the campaign, and he pays me at a rate of $75 per month for the service. Of course, that will keep me here until the next November election. He has a room here in the state house, and so I go right along with any change of quarters or arrangements of any kind other than that indicated. $75 a month. <laughs> That's bank now. Wow. Um, which is funny. Nicolay actually, he asked the Lincoln campaign managers, he wanted to write the campaign biography for Lincoln. Um, and they told him that that was already promised to a different individual. And he was actually devastated by this. And he went and he met, you know, with his mentor, Hatch, um, just on the verge of tears. And it's Hatch who tells him that, hey, you're actually going to be his private secretary, um, which he will work with Lincoln all the way until the day Lincoln's assassinated. Um, he'll be right there by his side. So kind of definitely, um, you know, a change of events there. And he's working side by side with Lincoln. I mean, they're working out of a room. Uh, he's reading, answering mail. They're managing visitors. Um, you know, he's trying to conduct the flow of information between other states. He's trying to perform delicate tasks. He's meeting with potential political allies. So, I mean, both of these, this job as well as the job at the White House, I mean, he is working just as long as Lincoln. And Lincoln, we all know about, I mean, he's probably the hardest, arguably the hardest working president we've ever seen. And this is at the time, too, where basically they reach out to Hay, um, or Nikolai does, and brings him into the fold to help out with everything just to keep up. I mean, you can understand it's a presidential campaign we're talking about now. 
Um, so the amount of stuff that he's got to take care of. And he's kind of like the first line of defense for Lincoln uh, when dealing with a lot of these things. And then Election Day uh, comes along in Springfield. I mean, he's right there with Lincoln the whole day. I mean, just this vision of, like, Lincoln and his crew walking down to vote together. You have Nicolay walking down the streets with him. They're casting the vote at the same polling place. They go down to the Mississippi Telegram Company office. They're listening to the results. Nicolay's, you know, walking outside, reading dispatches off to the crowd. I mean, the excitement level just must have been just crazy. And to do it with Lincoln right by your side. Um, and, and basically, you know, he, he's elected. He wins. You know, Nicolay parties till four. Um, and there's a quote I could scarcely realize that after having fought the slavery uh, question for six years past, to suffer so many defeats. I'm at last rejoicing in triumph, which only two years ago we had hardly dared dream. That kind of, you know, summarizes this view on, you know, the institution of slavery, what Lincoln meant to that, what it meant to him. Um, and basically, Nikolai continues to work with them in this office. They're getting up to 100 letters a day. Um, that's actually where Hay comes in. I apologize. Um, so it's end of December. Nikolai's offered a job by Lincoln's staff for $2,500 per year. To be his assistant sec or to be his, you know, secretary again out in Washington. And it's at this time Nicolay suggests, hey, why don't we bring Hay along? And Lincoln's response is, we can't take all Illinois down with us to Washington. <laughs> so Nicolay, I mean, excuse me, Hay almost didn't make the trip. Um, but eventually somebody, I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, Mary, but somebody basically helped fund part of the money for Hay. There was some kind of uh, finance exchange take place. I think that's the case. Um, I'm just looking for it quickly to see if I have it in my notes here. But yeah, he was brought in after and it was kind of like what you said, like Lincoln was like, yeah, we can't take everybody with us. And I think between Nicolay and a few other people, they convinced Lincoln like, yeah, like you, you need this guy with you. And that's, you know, kind of a, they never look back after that. Like, Hay was with him as well until um, the assassination. Yep, and they make the trip with Lincoln on the train, the train ride out. Um, there's a great little story where it talks about Lincoln gave his famous speech leaving Springfield. Um, and him and Nicolay actually worked together to reconstruct that speech on the rail car. Um, and then the speech that you know was written, the middle section of it is pretty much written in Nicolay's handwriting um, because he took over writing briefly while the rail car started to move. And then it's really in Indianapolis, um, and Lincoln's Boys, the book, really kind of shows you the difference between Nicolay and Hay. They get to Indianapolis. It's just a mob of people. They're at a hotel, and they kind of paint the picture in the book, and Hay, Hay's loving it. He's a mingler. He's, like, you know, getting along with everybody. And then Nicolay writes Maggie, and he's, like, telling her, uh, basically, you know, this isn't for me. Uh, this is not my cup of tea. Um, you know, Nikolay will be more of the straight lace guy. Yeah, Hayes um, more the the extrovert, I yes. think, of the two of them. And I mean, in Gettysburg, the, we'll t we'll probably both mention this, but in Gettysburg, like yeah, they both gets, get totally loaded. Yeah. So you kind of get to see they're kind of an odd couple in a way, I guess, mm -hmm. when it comes to their personalities. Uh, but they play off nicely of each other. And I think it worked well that way. Mm -hmm. um, so they picked a train ride out there. They actually didn't even know Lincoln got out, left Baltimore earlier. Um, so obviously they're there during the transition. And, man, both Nicolay and Hay will just blast Buchanan. I just had to throw this in there. Um, I found a part of a quote. The president whines and weeps and prays entirely unmanned and unnerved by a remote and worse than babyish fever a fear babyish fear so i mean just roasting buchanan wow. there's some great quotes and the lost boys about that <laughs> i don't know if you want to add to that mary or not oh i knew they didn't like buchanan but it's not shocking about their opinion of him at all so in the white house you're looking at nicolay basically he's Lincoln's right-hand man, both him and Hay. I mean, they got adjoining office doors. Their bedroom's literally down the hall from Lincoln. Um, it's a private hallway, so he has access to them. Um, and, you know, you know, dealing with Lincoln, it was problematic because sometimes it's very hard to get him into a systematic routine. 
Um, they always struggled with that throughout the years. But ultimately what they did is they were managing Lincoln's relationship with Republican office holders, and they were communicating his instructions to members of the House and Senate. They weren't necessarily advisors giving him advice, but when Lincoln made up a decision, he needed a message delivered. Um, they were the guys that did that. And that wasn't only in Washington for Nicolay, and I'll go into this a little bit more detail, um, but this you know, meant traveling across the country at times to look into stuff. Mm-hmm. So Lincoln put huge trust in these guys. And when you think about that, it's crazy. You're talking about two 20-year-olds who basically are the first gate to getting to Lincoln in many cases. They're basically the mediator to Lincoln for a lot of these people who are office seekers. And it was a tough job for them. And the fact that they were young, they were outsiders. I mean, especially if you think of Nicolay, I mean, he has no family ties to anything, to to wealth or politics. You know, he he's coming in just like Lincoln as an outsider. Um, Hay had some East Coast connections, but ultimately they're 20-year-olds, outsiders, and obviously it rubbed some people wrong in D.C. Part of it is, I'm sure, it's jealousy. You got these people who probably been in politics their whole life, and now they're being asked to talk to what they probably deem a 20-year-old punk who doesn't (laughs) know the first thing about politics. I mean, that had to be humbling for a lot of these um, individuals. And it also had to be tough, uh, Nicolay, as well as Hay. Um, And I think that kind of led to his reputation. You know, there was a lot of great quotes um, out there, but very disagreeable and uncivil, close, methodical, silent German way, um, coming and going about the capital like a shadow. Um, so he was definitely kind of the bulldog um, in it all. He he was the tough one there. He was not worried about his reputation, um, and he took a brunt of that. But then Hay was more of the, the smooth operator who yeah. could, you know, wine and dine people a little bit better. Uh, I guess they'll both be wine and dine, but he could kind of smooth people over a little bit more. I don't know if you want to add anything, Mary. Yeah, and um, I will mention this when I talk about Hay in the, in the next episode, but he was referred to when he, in his university days as the quote was from one of his friends, he looked like a dude. <laughs> so, of course, I'm thinking of the big Lebowski here. I'm like, that's what I'm associating with John Hay now. Um, but he was, in comparison to Nikolay, who tended to, I think, be seen as the grumpier one, Hay was the more cheerful one. So kind of, he was more, I think, seen as like, I guess you could say like the party animal side of it. I don't know if Jay and Silent Bob would apply to this, but it might. (laughs) I I, I think uh, Nikolay, or not Nikolay, Hay is the, he's Jay. He's definitely Jay. Um, and he's described. I think you, his... I do think you see a lot of that in the characters. I mean, I, I know we always kind of refer back to the Spielberg movie, mm-hmm. but I think you see a lot of that in the characterization. Like, I think they were pretty accurate, and you know, yeah. with um, how they're kind of played. Like, there's and there's also that very memorable scene where, um, where Daniel Day Lewis is Lincoln's kind of trying to bend the rules a little bit and kind of being sort of telling white lies, kind of, kind of bending the rules a little bit and Nicolay's like well I don't want to do that yeah. so then he just gives it to you know was it James Spader's character yeah. or whoever like somebody that he, he knew doesn't really care about that kind of thing but like um, Jeremy Strong kind of plays him as like that kind of straight laced kind of proper you know reserved kind of person so I think that that there's a lot of that you could tell that they both the screenwriters and Spielberg, and then of course the actors um, did a lot of research into into their personalities and mannerisms. Yeah, like they like I mean, hey, like you look at Nicolay and he looks so much more serious. Hey, before he had his his mustache was very very like looked a lot younger than what he was, and uh, Hayes described as being quite favorable among the ladies. So again, hey. yeah, yeah, he's. <laughs> He's kind of the frat boy personality. I think Nicolay is the the other side of that. But as you said, Nick, like an odd couple, but I think they were very, very good friends. Yeah. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of Parks and Rec, and I kind of see Nicolay as kind of like the Ron Swanson in a way, like the serious outdoorsman guy because he'd be a big outdoorsman. And then like Hayes, like the Tom Haverford 
uh, guy who's always kind of like wheeling and dealing. Not a good comparison at all, but that's just the show I've been diving into. But um, it's good. But Nicolay, oh, I, I wish I could come up with like an Aziz Ansari type delivery of a line from a bit for a business idea for John Hay, but I just can't do it. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> um. So Nikolay, obviously, um, the longer he's there, the more trust Lincoln will gain in him. And obviously, he still has a long-distance relationship going with uh, Maggie. And on one of the trips back to Springfield, Lincoln actually sends him to Missouri first um, because Fremont is being a pain in the ass, which we've talked about here. And he wants to know what's basically going on. So he sends Nikolay out there, and Nikolay pretty much reports back um, and a quote there there is here. Um, that was a weird <laughs> sentence. Uh, but the universal opinion is that he's entirely failed and that he ought to be removed. And literally four days later, he was dismissed from command. So, you know, he's sending him out there. He's getting feedback. He's trusting him. Uh, he'll send him out to Colorado and Minnesota a couple times to negotiate with Native Americans. He will actually be uh, play a part in the Minnesota um, Sioux tribe mass hanging that takes place. Originally, there was a dispute, obviously, between the tribe and the white settlers. At one point, 303 Native Americans were supposed to be hanged. Eventually, there was negotiations, um, and 38 were hanged. Um, still the biggest mass hanging in American history. Um, I think that's a future episode for sure on that. Um, but Hay was, I mean, excuse me, Nicolay was there for that. And leading up to the second election of eight, the election of 1864, New York ended up being kind of a mess. You had Chase um, and Thurlow Weed, um, and Weed, who was kind of the, the Republican Party uh, guy in New York, they kind of got into it. Be basically, there were several uh, jobs that were handed out uh, to loyal Republicans, and it was Chase filling those jobs which pissed off Weed to the point where he actually threatened to pull support from Lincoln in the 1864 election. So Nicolay will go out there twice to represent Nicolay, uh, or Nicolay will go out there twice to represent Lincoln's side in the case, and he'll actually rework some things and negotiate it and get that support back. And he will also be kind of the eyes and ears at the Baltimore Convention um, in 1864 as well. So. You know, these are big events that he's sending them out there to do. There's a lot of trust um, and for him to do that. And Lincoln, you know, once Lincoln made his mind up what he wanted to do, he trusted Nicolay in how he would do that, how he would administrate, you know, those those ideas or those things he wanted done. And then that leads to the great Gettysburg Address story. So... Obviously, Lincoln, we know the story. He goes out there. Well, the story that I didn't know till we had this episode is basically Hay and Nicolay are there. Obviously, they're there to mingle. They're the ones who negotiate, communicate with uh, other Republicans in the area. And there is John Forney, who is a Republican newspaper man. He's got some pull. He's got some influence. Uh, well, good old John, he's been throwing back some whiskeys all day. So basically, what ends up happening, Hay ends up with them a little bit sooner, and they end up tossing back some whiskeys. Next thing you know, Nicolay, they go get him, and they're basically just getting shit faced. I mean, they're <laughs> drink- this is the night before the Gettysburg Address is given, and they're just throwing back whiskey after whiskey. And the book talks about, like, basically at one point, um, you know, Nicolay is singing Three Thieves. The whole group singing the John Brown song. Uh, the newspaper guy decides he's going to give a speech, so there's people out there trying to get a band to serenade him. Um, and there's reports he's giving the speech to a crowd and he's just inebriated, stumbling over his words. Uh, and then eventually, the way the author does it in The Lost Boys basically says uh, uh, the guy goes back and he passes out, and then Nicolay and Hay go to sleep. Um, so. I don't know if you want to add to that story anymore, Mary. Um, well, I think it was too. So, so they obviously get completely shit faced in Gettysburg, but then I always say it was one of them drew the short straw and had to get up with Lincoln in the morning. I'm pre- was it Nicolay? 
Nicolay's up at 9 a.m. Yeah, and Hay got to sleep in. So yeah. I always say it was like they must have, like, right before they went to bed, they did, like, okay, rock, paper, scissor, draw the, or draw the short straw. Because Nicolay's up with him right in the speech, and um, Hay is sleep, sleeping it off. Like, I can't imagine. Hay was probably the drunker of the two since he started before Nicolay did. But uh, I kind of think, like, Nicolay might have been a little bit of a party animal when he was drinking. So you got Nicolay, who's helping Lincoln transcribe the Gettysburg Address, arguably the most famous speech in American history. And he's got a whiskey hangover. And yeah, and he's hungover. <laughs> that that's pretty epic. Um, it kind of talks too about like like most people in America at that time, neither of them realized the significance of the Gettysburg Address till years later, and the significance of all that. Um. As far as Lincoln is concerned, him and Hay kind of always referred to Lincoln as the tycoon, the agent. Um, this was more in their writings and to each other. Obviously, they were talking to him. They addressed him as president. Um, and they, I mean, they were extremely close. Outside of Mary, those two were the closest um, to him. You know, Lincoln would often come down to the room because their sleeping quarters. They both slept in the same room. You know, they all had read Shakespeare. Lincoln obviously loved that. So just the late night chats, I mean, I could just love to have been a fly on the wall during that mm-hmm. where they're all just kind of shooting the shit. You know, Lincoln, we all know how uh, great of a storyteller he is. He's got these young 20-year-olds who are just looking up to him. Um, it, it just, those had to be some of the best moments, I'm sure, um, in their dealings with Lincoln and their memories. Uh, but that cold relationship will ma- with Mary does come um, into play. The Hellcat. Yep. Yeah, both Hay and Nicolay are not nice to Mary in their private writings back and forth. Um, and the big thing really is Nicolay and Mary will butt heads over a major state dinner. Basically, Nicolay was organizing it. He invited uh, a congressman's wife by the name of Kate Chase. Um, the dad was trying to get Lincoln out of office. And Mary was pissed, didn't think um, she should be invited to the dinner. Nicolay did it anyways, um, to the point where then Mary pretty much took over the planning and actually told Nicolay not even to come to the dinner. Um, Eventually, they kind of make up the day of, but that really kind of builds this wedge. And it's from this point that Mary um, is kind of in, you know, Lincoln's ear uh, to replace him. Uh, Noah Brooks is a newspaper correspondent that had a good relationship with Mary. Um, that's kind of her guy to do it. So it's pretty much decided that Nicolay was going to step down after four years. And both him and Hay, I mean, this happens often with two-term presidents. The staff changes. Part of that is just because of the stress and the burden of the job. You're talking... 12-hour days, 80-hour work weeks. Um, you're at the bag and call. Lincoln never took a vacation. Hey and Nicolay, they would rotate vacations, obviously, um, at different times. But, I mean, it's a stressful job, and the burnout is high. I mean, we see it to this day um, on the job. So, eventually, what is planned is that he is going to become a, a – Lincoln names it to a diplomatic post in Europe, uh, the consul in Paris – pretty sweet gig um i would imagine and it is actually when we find out Mm -hmm. but before all that happens lincoln is assassinated hey i'm sure mary will talk about this is in dc during the assassination nicolay was actually in cuba on a trip and he was actually aboard a navy ship returning from cuba um so he actually heard the news while on that ship um and it was there's a quote from him. It would seem the providence had exacted from him that last and only additional service and sacrifice he could give his country, that of dying for her sake. He'll arrive back at DC April 17th. Um, Nicolay and Hay both will go straight to Springfield the 21st. And then by May, they're back in DC packing up Lincoln's papers, um, which Nicolay will have in his possession for a good chunk of the rest of his life. Um, and those papers will be used to write the 10-volume biography that they will do. He does go. He actually, June 15th, he will get married. Um, Hay is at the wedding. 
by June 24th, they're on that ship to Paris. So quite a whirlwind of events from the assassination um, to the marriage to, you know, the Paris. The job will be more of a ceremonial job. He's quoted as saying business is dull at the consulate. Um, he spends four years there, um, 1866. They actually, him and his wife, uh, have a daughter, Helen. Uh, they will have a son who dies at birth, so she will be the only surviving kid that they have. 1869, he'll come back, and he'll float between kind of Florida in the summer, New Hampshire in the winter, and Springfield, or outside of Springfield for the autumn and spring months, um, digging outdoors like he continued to do. And then 1872, he eventually decides to get back in the game. Uh, Robert Lincoln helps him, and he gets appointed Marshal of the Supreme Court, which he will serve that for through 1887. Um, him and Hay will continue to be friends. They kind of drift a little bit apart. Uh, definitely, you know, Nicolay being the introvert, more isolated lifestyle, where Hay is a little bit more active and definitely a much more active political career. His wife dies um, after 20 years of marriage in 1885, and he will live with his daughter till 1901. So he lives another about, what is that, 16 years. And the last visit he has with Hay um, is literally days after McKinley's assassinated. Um, and then kind of during that time, though, it's 1874, him and Hay will start a 12-year journey uh, basically writing the biography and that kind of kind of wraps up Nicolay um, there's kind of a nice sweet quote to somebody was asking Hay like Nicolay about Hay's success kind of like is he jealous or not and Nicolay is just like no basically along the line no not at all I mean I wish the best for him um, so that friendship really lasted um, till the day um, Nicolay passed away so you know Nicolay Definitely not as well-known as Hay, especially post-career, but, you know, a remarkable individual. I think um, definitely his personality, his time with Hay, probably Hay probably not as successful without that. Um, and, yeah, I mean, he's just another person right there, um, right next to Lincoln, and experience intimate moments with him that we wish we could be there and see. And so... Yeah, I don't know if that was all boring or not, but no, I thought uh, that was great, Nick, awesome, and very Nick. Uh, wow. thorough and important stuff that you highlighted. I think yep. that, I mean, really, we're looking at two people who spent more time with Abraham Lincoln than literally anyone else, Mary Lincoln included. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you can make an argument that that those two young men at the time knew and worked with Lincoln closer than anyone else. I mean, um. You know, like you said, Lincoln never took any time off. So it's not as if, you know, and, and, you know, we all know the stories of him sitting in the telegraph office until the middle of the night and going to the soldier's home. And, you know, the, obviously the job of the president is so immense, especially Lincoln in the Civil War. Like, you know, his time spent with his children and his family and his wife wasn't, I'm sure, what he wanted it to be most of the time. So these two people, you know, definitely spent more time with him and, it's always interesting to me how, like, I, I distinctly remember learning about John Hay, knowing Nicolay and Hay, knowing who Nicolay and Hay were. And then I was learning, you know, and I think I took a foreign policy class in college at some point, learning all about John Hay and his, in his work as a diplomat and his, you know, how he had changed the office of the Secretary of State and all these things. And, like, I had known a lot about him before I put it together that it was the same person. Um, so I think that, you know, he almost has kind of almost two careers that's looked at sometimes his life with Lincoln and his life as a diplomat, whereas Nicolay is much more defined, I think, by um, his his life with Lincoln and then, of course, his relationship with Hay. But I think it's important to note that um, the whole team of rivals idea or Lincoln's link, this this idea that all of the people Lincoln brought were actually competing with each other. That these are two people who were not competing with each other, were not rivals at all, but like essentially in a time where there wasn't really a division of responsibility, there was just two, more work than could be done by one people and arguably two people. They essentially kind of shared the same role of just supporting the operations of 
the office of the presidency, which is obviously too big of a job for any two people. Cause now how many, you know, how many people are on a typical white house staff? So um, I think this is interesting. And it also gives us a glimpse into the, to white house life in the 19th century, because we don't know much about other presidential secretaries. You know, I think these two kind of emerge as the, the people that just because Lincoln's presidency is so huge and so well known and so widely studied and written about that, that they have emerged where there are others who have probably had a similar workload that really didn't, didn't reach that level of, of fame. So I enjoyed Nick uh, learning about it and hearing your research into Nick Lamb. Looking forward to next week when we learn about John Hay. Um, and then we kind of, kind of combine the two and, and, and talk about their, their legacy as well. So thank you, Nick, for uh, taking us through John Nicolay's uh, life before, during, and after the White House and, and um, how he you was know, an important figure. You know, one thing I was just kind of thinking here, you know, the ironic part in all this is like, hey, is definitely the most famous of the two, yep. I think, for historians or just, you know, casual historians and stuff mm-hmm. because of his post-Lincoln uh, career. But it's probably Nicolay who had the bigger responsibility and probably had more of the trust um, when it was the job of working with um, Lincoln, you know, and he was there longer, too, um, beside him, mm-hmm. uh, by, you know, a few years. So yeah. kind of ironic. And then the big thing, too, that's fascinating is just, uh, you know, Nicolay is he's basically kind of one of the founders of the Republican Party, especially in Illinois, mm-hmm. um, you know. He's there through the whole foundation of that, too. So I found that very interesting. And, yeah, definitely that. Yeah, and I like how he's a soft-spoken person. You know, like we, yeah. we, we envision politicians as these, like, you know, bigger-than-life personalities who are always outspoken and always giving speeches and always have to be the center of attention and always have to be these orators. But he wrote, you know, like he was a writer, and that's how he did it. And he wasn't. He didn't command the room. He didn't command attention. He he did it in his way, which I think is, is really cool. And he did the same thing, and Lincoln did the same thing. Uh, obviously, Lincoln's personality was a little bit bigger, but and you know he's been dissected a million different ways. But but I think each of these three people kind of did their jobs true to themselves, um, which which not everybody can say. So I think that's well, that's pretty cool. I, I think it's a great point too, especially in modern politics. I mean the machine behind these individuals that get the, you know, the FaceTime and, you know, you know, Barack Obama became president. It wasn't just Barack Obama. There were significant behind the scenes people that helped uh, that are partners. You know, it's truly like a team effort. Um, and you see that a lot of times when campaigns, you know, are forced to end and just, or they, or just a success when they are victorious. Um, and then I think Nicolay and Hay really just showed that, that, teamwork with Lincoln that was so necessary for a president to be successful. You need a good team around you. And I think we're seeing that in America right now. You know, when you don't have a good team around you, you know, it just leads to more chaos too. And I think that forgets a lot. That gets forgotten about a lot. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about major politicians in America. Yeah. And yeah, and I think the difference too is there's, there's political, a lot of times you get people who are politically very, very good and talented and smart about getting people elected but that's different than governing yeah and i think a lot of times you see like well this person because campaign workers don't get paid very much at all like you know they don't get very much notoriety or anything like that but so so like okay he ran my campaign or he ran you know ohio or whatever he you know did a great job you know got the vote out whatever whatever and then, so then they get this appointment into a, a West Wing position, and it turns out governing is different than campaigning. Well, as I think with Nicolay and Hay, the, there really wasn't campaigning, at least not not nearly what we see today. So they could focus on the actual operation of the White House, the actual operation of the executive branch and the president, uh, which I think is what's what's huge. And I think that's where we run into problems historically and certainly now with like cronyism and you know appointments and, and, and Lincoln had the benefit where benefit curse, however you want to look at it. He could, when he had to make political appointments, he could appoint them in military spots. He didn't have, that's, you know, everybody looks at his cabinet, like the team of rivals. He made such genius appointments. Well, he didn't have to make a whole lot of political appointments in the same way as other presidents, because he could also appoint them to generalships or to whatever else. Not to say that that was always a good thing. Certainly wasn't militarily in many cases, 
Uh, but I think you could focus on like Nick Lane. Hey, we're very talented at what they did. And, yeah. you know, and they were able to run it. Now I do think that there's an element of luck there too. Mm-hmm. Because neither one of them had a resume. Now, now you look at many of the people who worked with president Obama, you know, Ivy league educated, brilliant since day one, like these just, you know, all, uh, unbelievable work ethics, you know, you think of Nicolay. Nicolay did have his hands, obviously, in the Republican Party with mm-hmm. the newspaper and, you know, campaigning and stuff. But, like, Hayes literally brought in as, like, Nicolay's buddy. Yeah. And to think of what he rises to be exactly. because of, like, the circumstance is crazy. And then another thing, too, I was thinking about, you know, we're talking about these different roles. You know, I think Nicolay and Hayes, they understood their role. Lincoln understood their role. Mm-hmm. Like, they weren't advisors. Like, that team of rivals were really, like, the advisors he was picking their ears for. Like, you know, that's what Lincoln, that's what they were for. These were the people who, once Lincoln made a decision, they were, the you know, the boots on the ground going out there, relaying that stuff, getting people to listen and follow through on that stuff. And just that division and just how well it seemed to work between the three of them um, is crazy. But, yeah, to think, like, hey, literally the common is we can't bring everybody from Illinois and then, hey, somehow gets there to rise and play such an intricate role in American imperialism, whether that's good or bad. I, I'll yeah. leave that up to you to decide, but um, it's just crazy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So once again, Nick, thanks for the Nicholas taking us through Nicolay. Yeah. Uh, so if you have any thoughts or questions about Nicolay, go ahead and post them on our social media. We'd, uh, we'd love to interact. Um, so we do have a weekly feature, a couple weekly features here on the Real Sweater Podcast. The first is uh, This Week in Lincoln, where we try to highlight an example of Abraham Lincoln popping up outside the context of history or even historic fiction or whatever else. Um, and I'm going to supply today's. Um, I don't know if any of you saw it on Instagram or Twitter, but I did uh, go into the city of uh, Chicago to do a couple things, and I stopped at a couple Lincoln-related sites. Um the, uh, the young Lincoln statue and Frederick Douglass's gravesite. But as I was driving through, there's always a restaurant on your way. If you're coming from where Nick and I live and really coming from almost anywhere to go to Wrigley field, to see the Cubs play, you go down Irving park Avenue and at the corner of Irving park and Lincoln, there's the Lincoln family restaurant. Nick, do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, there's a, there's a big sign out front with, a pretty awesome picture of Abraham Lincoln. Um, and it's the Lincoln family restaurant. Unfortunately, I think the sign is all that's left there. Uh, but it's a pretty cool example of how folks, you know, kind of use Abraham Lincoln as a, um, marketing tool many times. Um, so I don't know if you can see that, but, uh, the Abraham Lincoln restaurant, uh, is my example uh, for this week's, uh, this week in Lincoln. So, so I've never actually eaten there, so I'm hoping that all their menu items are have Lincoln puns and rail splitter puns, but I don't know. So uh, Irving Park in Lincoln on the north side of Chicago, Lincoln Restaurant. Very cool sign, at least. I don't know about their breakfast, but probably worth checking out. Our other weekly feature is of the people by the people where we highlight a social media post. Um, I'm just going to really quickly go first because – um, I just had this uh, pulled up uh, just this week in the Rail Splitter Facebook group. Somebody pointed something that I think is now a little bit ironic. Uh, Brad posted, Nick, this is in reference to our last uh, episode. Nick, I think this was the first episode with no Fillmore reference, which would make tonight the second ref- the second episode with no Fillmore reference because yes. Nick didn't reference Fillmore one time. We're on Whoa. a streak. Hopefully I didn't uh, jinx it there, but uh, Brad, thanks for pointing out that we got all into politics last week, and not once did we mention Millard Fillmore, not much that we, I should say, not once did Nick mention Millard Fillmore, uh, and then of course uh, we didn't this week either. So I don't know what's happened. I hope Nick's feeling okay, uh, <laughs> but that's two weeks in a row without a Fillmore reference. Um, but uh, Brad, I appreciate your kind words. He also mentioned we did go off the rails, but uh, we got the discussion where it needed to be, which I really appreciate that feedback. Uh, but there we go, two weeks in a row. Um, I'm sure somehow, some way, our good buddy from the state of New York is going to come back in a, with a vengeance next week. I'm sure he'll appear in the hay episode. He came to the show somehow. Yeah. So ironically, my uh, For the People, By the People is actually a retweet 
that Jim Slattery did with a quote, and uh, he retweeted basically a image of basically the reflection pool. Is that right? Is that what it's called by the Washington uh-huh. Monument? Yep. Uh, there is a mallard there swimming, and Jim Slattery goes, "Mallard J. Fillmore." <laughs> question mark uh, so we're a fan of you know um, cheesy historical puns that's a good one so that is my that's not Millard it is only Mallard Fillmore Mallard so. Fillmore and every time I see a Mallard I'm gonna think Mallard Fillmore so shout out to him thank you thank you Jim, Jim. Um, so mine comes to us from the Real Twitter Facebook page and it's I'm gonna count it as a bit of a review as well um, so Kathleen said, thank you for this week's episode, meaning the episode we just released last week. I have no issue with it going off the rails. It was timely and needed. And the comments in that were, you know, Jim said plus one. Ben Holmes said absolutely. And also mentioned as a side note, I did some filming at the memorial in 2017. And we were told in no uncertain terms that <laughs> nobody is ever allowed to record dialogue in the monument itself. Um, Amy left us a very positive she she agreed it was good and she enjoyed that Nick hosted it was good to catch more of his opinions and Eric Lee said that I just finished the podcast it got me all fired up <laughs> awesome and Tom Pete says I'm with you 100% Eric and just really good to hear that fi- that feedback about it so thank you everybody who listened to that episode yep. i i think that it was a much needed given the events that transpired you know yes i agree and you know um i thank you to kathleen for starting that thread mm-hmm. we appreciate and are so thankful for all of our listeners uh but especially those who have been with us since early days and she definitely has she's yep. an og rail splitter for sure yeah so uh that's awesome that uh we still have uh, active members that, that joined us from the beginning and, and and everyone who commented on that thank you um so uh it does mean a lot it really does um so any parting thoughts mary or nick before we close out episode 100 whatever this is awesome job nick thank you and thank you to our listeners and i hope you're all staying safe and healthy at this time. Yeah. Safe. <laughs> All right. Screw uh, you, COVID. That's right. Screw <laughs> you, COVID. Uh, I'm going to echo that and hope everybody's yeah. staying safe, staying careful, um, paying attention to science, all that good stuff, uh, and taking care of their loved ones and enjoying some time uh, with them. And if you're struggling with work and all that kind of stuff our thoughts go out to you and and hopefully that we'll all make through this and and be better for it but uh but it's tough and and we're on this together so thank you for listening hopefully we can take your mind off a little bit of that stuff at least for an hour a week um and talk a little history so thanks for tuning in we really appreciate it we'll be back at you next week with a little bit of john hay so hopefully uh you'll enjoy that as much as we enjoyed this john nicolay discussion but until then Continue to walk the world with males toward none and charity for all. And we'll see you soon. Peace.